someone else's movie the original podcast where an actor writer director or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make i'm norm wilner senior film writer for now magazine and this is the other thing i do my guest this week is kulab vilaisak a writer and producer you might recognize from her eight years on earwolf's who charted podcast or from her appearances on children's hospital the office brooklyn 99 bob's burgers parks and recreation and plenty more she created and produced the delightful reality TV spoof Bajillion Dollar Properties, and now she's the director of a really powerful personal documentary, Origin Story, which just started streaming on Amazon Prime Video after a run through the festival circuit, which brought her to the Real Asian Fest in Toronto last fall. Kulab picked Attack the Block, the delightful 2011 hybrid that marks the feature debut of writer-director Joe Cornish, who co-wrote The Adventures of Tintin and Ant-Man with Edgar Wright, but did his own wonderful thing with this film. It's a sci-fi action comedy set in a low-rent South London housing district that's under siege by an invasion of extraterrestrial beasties, forcing a ragtag group of punks, drug dealers, and one very resourceful nurse to band together and save their home, and possibly the world. And that gang is played by an absolutely incredible cast of future megastars. You've got Star Wars' John Boyega, Doctor Who's Jodie Whittaker, Legends of Tomorrow's Franz Dramat, as well as this guy Nick Frost, who I think is pretty cool. I've been sitting on this conversation for months, and I'm so glad I finally get to share it with you all. This is someone else's movie. Attack of Black, I, I, I love the film. And it was a surprising film when it came out. What year did it come out? 2011. 2011. We're in 2018 now? Yeah, we were but children. I, I am amazed so now, actually, that... I'm, I'm so glad you picked it, because I love it. Uh, but I'm amazed now that you can say, oh yeah, there's a movie with like the Doctor and Finn from Star Wars and Firestorm, and no one knew about it for years. Oh wait, Firestorm's in this? Yeah, Franz Dramia, uh from Legends of Tomorrow. I didn't and, know that. And the Flash and Arrow, I guess, and all the other stuff. Oh, sh- he's I didn't one know of the that. gang. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Not a major role, but it you like you yeah. can't miss him. His face oh, is wow. very distinctive. That's so crazy. Wait, who is he in this? Uh, in the he's, Box? he's um, I think. I'll just pull the picture out. I think he is. Yeah, just to the left. Oh! Oh my goodness! Yes. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh, my gosh, I didn't even realize that. And it took me a beat to, like, Scott was like, Jodie Whittaker from Attack the Black is Doctor Who. I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, yes, this is... I love uh, I love English TV. I love uh, English movies. I especially... I, I, love, I love the upstairs, but I like the downtown, too. <laughs> okay. And this is the downstairs. You know, I love unposh England. Right. Yeah. Um, and the, it, is it South London specifically or the, uh, the, the part of the housing block, the tower block that gets, uh, overtaken. Attacked. attacked. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be that <laughs> obvious about it, but yeah, Moses's people, Moses's place is definitely uh, a dirtier side of London than we see in, in most films that make it over to North America. There are plenty of them in the UK that, that, you know, the, Chav movies, I don't know what you'd call them, but they're all sort of working class or lower class action pictures. The Green Street, Green Street Hooligans, there was a couple of those. Mm. And they just didn't make it over to North America. So when this showed up and Sony said, yeah, we're releasing it, we're actually putting it out, it was just, so, it was such a joy. It reminds me of, um, well, to, to piggyback on what you were saying, that's why mm. also why I love um, uh, Chewing Gum. Right, the uh, Netflix series. Yes, yeah, that's right, yeah. 
Um, and that, that also this feeling of it's a, it's a fishbowl. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also is reminiscent to me, uh, of, of the raid, you know, where you're sure, stuck yeah. in a, in a place and you're, well, I guess I'll die hard. <laughs> like yeah. you're stuck in a place and are you going to make it? Then I love the, the comment on race, the socioeconomic comments too, um, layered, uh, on top of it is just compelling and then it's like it's a it's a monster alien yeah film it's, <laughs> like, a, it's a proper monster movie it, yes it, um when i saw it uh and did you see it theatrically did you get the chance or did you find it later because i know it kind of had a smallish release in- i feel like i saw it at a film festival i feel like i saw it like south by yeah or it might have been there or Scott saw this up. I was like, we have to see it in the theater. Like, he was like, you're going to love this. And of course I did. Yeah. Funny action. I'm so into it. Yeah. It's it's the kind of movie I was stunned. I mean, they released it in August, so it, I guess it never had a chance. But that should have played at TIFF's Midnight Madness series. It's the kind of movie that I could have... I think I even wrote this. I, I imagine you could you could have stumbled across this on a VHS bootleg tape in 1989 or something or it would have showed up at tiff and it would have been this great little sensation and the cg isn't so obvious that it dominates or it could have been made with pipe cleaners and and snot right like yeah it's such a great throwback to practical production when people just had an idea yep and made it work yeah And and the terror of the darkness yeah but then how the darkness i mean there's just so many layers and I really enjoy the storytelling and and some of it like you know in in like second viewing too. It's like oh yeah, like it was so obvious with like the the um the, the at the penthouse floor uh, when they're watching this nature dog. <laughs> it's like they are laying it out for you, but you need that. Yeah. Like you do need that. It's yeah. like because it's like also these are. <laughs> We're, they're aliens. <laughs> so we're introducing sort of this, like, animalistic view, but then it's, like, it's correlating to to um, these creatures that are coming from the sky yeah. looking for the female. Like, it's just, it's so smart. <laughs> like, it is. It's the, well, it's the economy, right? Like, you don't have a lot of money. You know what you have to spend it on. So you put as much into the script as you can to just have it in dialogue or have it in... Um, it's the, uh, what was the, it's the Terminator argument, right? Like, you, we never see the future in the first Terminator. We, there's that one shot at the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, and then Reese has a dream, but it's just clearly models and they didn't have a lot of money to do it. Mostly it's done through dialogue. Yes. And with this, it's all, the exposition is the same way. It's just sort of sublayered into things. It's like the, the musculature of the script. If that's, yeah, if that's that does make weird. sense. Like, we can't. We can't have an expert. There are never experts in, in these movies. That's the best one, like Return of the Living Dead or From Dust Till Dawn. You're like, what's the line? Does anybody has anybody ever read a book on vampires? Like, what, like a Time Life book? There's just <laughs> there's never a scientist around. Yeah. And the closest you have are a couple of potheads who are theorizing. Which again puts us on the side of the puts them on the side of the audience and makes them yeah. more representation. And then you just realize, oh yeah, they're monsters. They're they're monsters. You don't have yeah. to you don't have to define them any further. We know exactly what they want, which is to ruin things. <laughs> yes. And to look for the female, ultimately, is the purpose in the movie. But they're just there to scare the crap out of everybody. Yeah. And, and there's no larger... It's not an invasion, exactly. It's just a bunch of monsters. Yeah, and it's, to me, like, it's like, uh, there. there's a drag line. I know there's drag lines movies even before them, but, like, 
that feeling, you know, uh, you get of, like, Stranger Things, of these kids figuring it out and the adults not knowing. Yeah, and, like, yeah. you know, them. And you're with these, like, just these these beautiful boys that are, like, going through this and figuring it out. And the, the casting of it is just, just tremendous. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, <sighs> sorry to piggyback on what you just said, that just the idea, it... It's one of those few movies where there's a perfectly valid reason not to call the police. Like, not only yes. is there a grow-up, but Moses and his friends don't trust them. And it makes perfect sense. Uh, yes. It's incredibly prescient, actually, for a movie from 2011 to be on top right. of that. It's like, now I just... It just clicked, but it never dropped at the time. It's just like, oh, they don't trust the police. Well, why wouldn't they? They're... Oh, right. Yeah. Just the extra beat. And then also, they are criminals. <laughs> Yeah, they do petty <laughs> crime. <laughs> like they that is first thing they do, which is like Carter yeah, every Kings. part of it is you know, and when every part of it is but why are they? Mm-hmm. Right? So then you throw that yeah. in, you know, which is oh, okay. And the dynamic between our two leads is just the tension there is just so throughout. It's just so interesting to the very end when he's like arrested yeah, at the end. Yeah, up for him. Yeah, and they chant his name, and in that moment, my heart, his face, I mean, yeah. that, like, what a great ending, because the other, when he, when they're at the girl's apartment, kind of, well, I don't know, third act or whatever, mm. and the, the girls, by the way, realize what's going down, and, like, how that connection is, and how his face looks when they're like, it's you, you know, it's yeah. like you, it's your, you know, you're cursed. It's your, your, you know, to the, jumping to the very end. It's just mm. so very satisfying. And he is such an amazing, amazing actor. Oh, um, yeah. I just, John Boyega is, like, he's so charismatic. He's so, he's incredibly distinctive like, visually because he's bigger than everybody else. And he's just, he, he's physically yeah. fit and moves really well. But then you realize he's also playing comedy throughout the whole thing like he's the one making the laughs happen through his reactions yeah which for a real like a relatively untested actor is amazing but to be to play sullen Mm. and funny and able to push that sullen you know is pretty yeah that's Harrison Ford right like that's that's Indiana Jones yeah you're right you're right just like so yeah so grumpy but able to get the laughs yeah Oh, it's a allow allow yourself to be sort of the butt of the joke. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, Moses's humorlessness is actually funny, uh, and then the slow kind of acceptance of himself as the hero because he clearly never saw himself as a hero in anybody's story. Yeah, well, he was never given that opportunity. Yeah, and in and in his, I'm I'm afraid that Whitaker's character's name has flown out of my head. But when they first meet, like she re- re- she responds to him with fear, like legitimate hesitant. Uh, she's afraid to interact with him. She she cringes from him, and he plays that perfectly. Like he just takes the insult and rolls with it. Yeah, and that's their relationship, except that it isn't because, yeah, you get to spend an hour and a half in more or less real time watching them figure out how to work together, respect each other, save each other, and also fight monsters. And she she's the one who goes into his apartment and sees where he lives mm-hmm. and sees like he's just a boy. Lest we forget, he's a big boy, but he's a boy yeah. who's been abandoned and left behind. And I mean, like that is so poignant. It, it is. is really good. I'm getting like chills thinking about like 
how layered and interesting, and yet how thoroughly entertaining it is. Yeah. And that's something, like, that's to me what takes, you know, what takes a piece of art, a piece of film that could just be, you could, it was like, it's popcorn, fair, it's a monster film. That's yeah. what we're talking about. But then it takes it to this other level where it makes you just think about the world around you. Yeah, it's that... It's that B-movie mentality, right? Like, everybody knows what a monster movie looks like, so how do we make ours stand out? And one way is to make a really clever movie with monsters that are the color of black, and that's that's brilliant. And that's, you know, like, what is that, just color timing? How do you do that? That's incredible. And another way is to build the world so convincingly. And then the third thing that, that Cornish does is make everything real. Like, he's making a movie about a... Like it's a Mike Lee monster movie. It's a it's, there's social realism throughout this film, right? Everybody, yeah. Nobody has enough money. Everybody's turning to drug dealing because that's just the easiest thing to do. Uh, Moses and his gang are doing the petty crimes, are sort of just out of restlessness and anger, and everyone has a legitimate reason for being who they are and where they are at this moment. And then there's monsters. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then. Without whatever you know, every good horror genre or zombie genre or whatever. Which, by the way, I am really scared of things. So I generally <laughs> don't watch scary things Ooh. at all. Yes, I am such a baby. <laughs> but this is this is everything that makes it interesting to me. That takes it beyond for me. But that who who are the most terrifying? Um, yes, the monsters; those are real. But it's the people. <laughs> the yeah. people are scarier. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that's the, yeah. the Living Dead thing, right? Yep. People are always the worst. The worst. But then, of course, the genius of, of Attack the Block is that people aren't the worst. You just <laughs> They just have to keep talking. They have to get through it. And then right. they can band together. As opposed to all the Romero films, which always end with people betraying each other. Because, you know, as The Walking Dead has taught us, the zombies aren't the worst problem. Yep. Um, that was Romero's old thing. We'll always turn on each other. We don't listen. And... This the movie, greedy. Yeah. Self-interest always mm-hmm. trumps yeah. everything. But, yeah, what what Cornish figured out is that the best kind of monster movies are the ones where we win. And he gives you that incredible rousing ending with people being prepared to sacrifice themselves and monsters. Like, just that shot of Boyega running. Yes, I, by all you the and I are, like, like, having the same mind it's so meld. Vivid. It's so vivid with the door opening the, you know, from the kitchen. Yeah. And I mean, it's... That, I mean, that, that's Bruce Willis right there. It is. I hadn't really thought about the Die Hard comparison until now, but you're right. It's, um, it's definitely the, you know, like, trapped in a high place. There's just so much movement that, yeah, it's Die Hard at speed, right? Like, much <laughs> yeah. faster. With, yeah. with monsters, which yeah. is now probably going to be the next Die Hard movie. <laughs> probably. And the next speed movie. Sure. <laughs> Shared universes, that's the whole thing. They're both Fox properties. Sure, let's do it. <clears throat> Disney owns it now, so I suppose. Gosh, that's what they do, is just remix, like, uh, mashups. Yeah. I mean, if there isn't... World mashups. If there isn't an Iron Man doll in the next Toy Story, they've missed their opportunity. <laughs> I'm assuming it's in the trailer. Oh my gosh, it must, right? Yeah. Some interaction of Iron Man toy with Buzz Lightyear, obviously. Sure, because they already sort of teased Star Wars in the second one, right? Oh, yeah. It's always been there. I don't want an Attack the Block sequel. I, there shouldn't be one. There isn't one. Yeah. But, and I think now everybody's too expensive. Right. <laughs> but at that point where, 
you know, everybody's announcing another thing. You could do more of this. You could have another one of these. This one is, like, it's one and done. There's no point of doing another one. Either more aliens show up and now the army's involved and that's no fun. Yeah. You're right. And I kind of... I want to know... I feel like... I feel like... I feel like Moses is okay and I don't need confirmation on that. You know what I mean? I feel like Moses... I don't know. I don't need to see him... You know, gosh, is there something, you know, 20 years later? (laughs) I don't know why. Uh, Yeah, That's an Independence Day scenario, right? Yeah. Uh, Like, that's kind of, but I mean, that's just us, like, nerding out. You know what I mean? Like, he's got a family, he's got his own kids, and then he, you know, they come back. Yeah, he spent 20 years doing the speaking tour, you know, like, turn your life around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Save the world, don't get any credit for it. That's right. Except, but I I didn't take any credit, and that's the name of his book. (laughs) Right. It wasn't me. Yeah, exactly. He does a tour with Shaggy. I would watch that. (laughs) But, yeah, yeah, but... Yeah, the, 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 like the fun of the movie is that it is packed with so many potential ideas that it doesn't need to explore. Like we know all these characters have lives. There's the sense that stuff is going on before and after and around, but the premise is so simple that you fill it all in while you're watching. Yeah, and it's just the uh, the perfect execution of every idea that mm-hmm. makes it so satisfying. I, I yeah. you know, um, part of the fun of it is is watching. Um, a movie that has seen every other movie. Yes, yes. You know, and it knows the reference points and, and just having Nick Frost there from Shaun of the oh, Dead. Oh, I love Nick Frost. I love Simon Pegg. I love, I love that whole, whole crew. I love Edgar Wright. I love, yeah. you know, Cornish. I mean, like, this is, it's just great. I love, I love this. Um, I love that community and them working together yeah. and creating awesome stuff. It's, um, it feels like kind of a party like everybody got involved because of the the premise and everything but you get the sense that it's a joyful film there's this no is, this is the only way i want to work yeah. i've been lucky enough in my career to to be in that mode and mm-hmm. it's the only way i don't know why anyone else oh i know why it's money but <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. oh, i have the answers but that feeling when you're creating i come from the uprights distance brigade theater um out of la and um, that community is such a bastion for me and that the theater is my home away from home and we work together and we, we collaborate with, with each other. We are in each other's pro- projects. Right. There's a shorthand um, and a language that exists and it's like, why would you, like, it, it's good to expand the community but why would you abandon it completely yeah. because there's so much creative juice that flows through it and that's why i like respond to that that vibe Mm -hmm. that feeling um and you feel it when you you're collaborating with like your friends it's it's pretty special and that's what i see with with this crew as well yeah there's a generosity to so much of of what wright does with his own films with the stuff he does with peg and frost especially but but I mean, I've been lucky enough to get to know him a little. I was going to write a book about Shaun of the Dead at one point, and yeah, I just realized that over my shoulder, uh, Kulop is looking at the signed poster for Shaun of the Dead. There's a story to that. Uh, well, it's a it's a perfect film. 
It is, right? Yeah. It absolutely is. Um, I actually, I, this is, I'll cut this out because it always sounds like me bragging, but I put it on, I, I called it the best film of the decade for now and got so much shit from, from readers. But it's the, <laughs> I went over this in the Johnny Sun episode and, and uh, he picked the whole trilogy. Oh, wow. Uh, about a year ago. Amazing. Um, yeah, it was great. It's, um, it, but it is like, if it wasn't for Galaxy Quest, it would be the defining film for mashup culture. Uh huh. Galaxy okay. Quest got there first. Yeah. But the Galaxy Quest thing is so specific that yeah. I think Sean builds on it. Right. And he's just. I was going to write a book on on Sean, and we we it just got shot down <clears throat> by the BFI, and that never happened. But we talked a little bit here and there over the years, and um, like see him whenever he comes through for for um, films, obviously, but. I, his his sense of play and his sense of like just listening to people for ideas and taking stuff in uh, and and it's clearly how this movie got made because I think he protected it a lot because it is until it until you see it it's one of those things where you can describe this movie and everyone has a picture of it in their heads that is cheaper and sillier than what the movie really is and when you see it. And you understand that, oh, my God, they're actually dealing with socioeconomic stuff and they're talking about the situations that got Moses and his kids there. And it's about, you know, British racism. Yep. Uh, and then they find a thing that's even blacker as their metaphor uh, that brings everyone together, which is kind of disturbing. But the film does like it deals with it. It engages with the stuff yes. that's just sort of dangling. Um, I don't know how you sell that in the room. Right. I don't know how you get a studio to put money into it. Um, I don't know how you don't get hung up in the minutiae of like, well, what do, what do they look like? What do yeah. the monsters look like? <laughs> like, yeah. how will they, you know what I mean? You Gorilla wolf sh- motherfuckers. Yeah. We know that. That's what they call them. Yeah. You know, like, but in the pitch, right? Mm. You have to have diagram. you know. Yeah, something. you need paintings. I just, I don't know if that's scary. <laughs> like, you know, there's yeah. just so many roadblocks. I wonder if that's maybe an advantage to the British system that maybe doesn't exist anymore where there was enough money and there was enough trust that somebody with a track record could just say, look, we'll get there. I, yeah. I know we can do this. Now, I think it's it's definitely harder in the States because the mid-range movies are disappearing. Mm-hmm. But in the UK, there was that window where, like, anything goes was a thing for a little while. If you had... Uh, Canada had a similar system in the 90s and where, you know, if you were a guy who'd had three successes, you could get a, th- a fourth one. You could get another movie made. It doesn't yeah. happen anymore. Wow. But there was a window. And um, and Cornish, you're like, this is his first film, and it is so, so assured. He knows exactly what he's doing. We, uh, the Toronto film critics, perhaps at some <clears throat> insistence from, from me, I was doing a lot of drum beating. We gave it Best First Feature that year. That's and, awesome. And he came, and it was great. And it's just like, you're my hero. You made this bizarre little movie, and you made it so well. It's like the perfect execution of the idea. Yep. And it has monsters, and it has weird explodey stuff and it has goo and it has it, the thing that i love the most about monster movies is when they acknowledge that stuff from outer space is going to smell weird like <laughs> yep. no one ever yep. thinks about yep. it because right. it's it's a movie it's a visual medium and we don't have to and it's great that we don't have to smell it yeah i love it when the characters do it it happens a couple of times in um oh what was the other movie that i saw deep rising Weirdly enough, this this great forgotten film from 1998 about a uh, tentacle squid monster on a, on a luxury liner. Yeah. It stinks, and they talk about it, and it's just like, yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Well, but also, too, it's just like, when you have um, alpha tough dudes, 
alpha tough dudes who take no shit. Right. But then goo or something, something specifically visceral, like stink happens. Like it's one thing of like blood gets in something, something gooey and stinky. Yeah. They all revert to ew. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that's funny. Like no. No matter. No matter how hard you are, yeah. when something is <clears throat> stinky and putrid, you react like a child. Yeah, yeah, you're and absolutely that's right. Funny, <laughs> and it gives you the um, it gives you the other thing too, which is Luke Treadaway being the tough fronting drug dealer who is absolutely useless. Yeah, um, but who all like basically the 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 sort of the transfer of power that happens over the course of the movie, where all of the white characters are ineffectual. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, yeah, this is a movie about allyship. Son of a bitch. We didn't even see it <laughs> in 2011. But but what Whitaker does right, is come around, right, right yeah. in the end. And she's working with them. Yeah. Um, but the... And, the, and also the... The white men are useless. The white men are useless. And the one that, like, is there just, like, the rich kid that's there. Yeah. You know, is along for the ride. And he's coasting just like he does in life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Frost is... I mean, he's not really an authority figure, but he's there to offer a couple of ideas and then just disappear into his own little fog. Yeah. Uh, and the cops are useless. Yep. This and is... mainly just meat for the aliens. Yeah. Which is, of course, like, that's the return of the living dead, right? Send more cops, send more paramedics. We're just fodder. Cannon yeah. Fodder. This is, oh my God, why hasn't this been rediscovered? I think we are actually <laughs> rediscovering it now. It's so good. Yeah. Seven years later, and it's still giving us ideas. It's but it is such so a good. oh, it's a delight. I we need to have more and it hurts it. when you lose the kids, you know, as as mm. they kids. It's hard. It's because you do. You're so engaged and like the, the you know. And that's what happens in this. Is like the kids. Yeah. The innocence, right? We love them before they get. Like we get to know them just enough that we feel their absence when they're gone. It's a huge loss. It's yeah. like no, no. And it doesn't shy away from that. Like there is, it's brutal. It like the to, kills right? because, are brutal. Yeah. Like in in true Jaws fashion too. It's like you get the first kill off, right, with mm-hmm. the dog, and you you get the right. you know like oh wait, this is not what we thought it was. This is something, and it's coming. Yeah, and it's meaner, following us. Meaner and smarter. Yeah. And the, just the idea too that if they. Yeah, it's. I mean, Super Eight kind of did it too, killing yes. humans. Although then at the and end, and there's they, bikes. Yeah, <laughs> they tried to make the argument that the monster is misunderstood. It's like, well, it's misunderstood, but it's carrying people around by their legs and then eating them. So eh, no, it's still a monster. Yeah, this one doesn't give it that. Like, there's no, there's never a moment where they try to empathize with the monster, which is also great because if you're an 18 year old, you're not going to. You're going to run away from the monster and then try to set it on fire. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the deaths at the beginning, they need to be there because otherwise when Moses does make the big sprint at the end, there'd be no weight to it. There'd That's be no right. risk. Right? You need to you need to feel the threat. Dexter, yeah. I don't know if you guys can hear this on the podcast, Dexter is sleeping and <laughs> entirely unmoved by any of the conversation. It's not my stomach grumbling, I promise you. It's a dog snoring. It ruins everything. But yeah, it is. And it's just... It's such a great movie to see with an audience. I saw it with a crowd that had no idea that what was... I mean, I didn't know what it was going to be. I just knew what it was. Uh, and I didn't know how much fun it would be. But then the whole room was cheering. It's, it's a real audience participation picture. You get picture. engaged and it unfolds in such a satisfying way. And back to your point of like, yeah, people who know the references who are students of all of the genre and the film and who love the genres and those films. So you get the... You get the 
like it's just just but it's the the, the in the outline of the film and in the temples of the film it, it follows sort of the line yeah. the, you know which but but that line that those points are satisfying to us oh yeah that it makes us feel good right but then it in those in those stops it's trying to do it in a different way with different people yeah. and saying different things and it's just like it really is just so successful yeah the cultural context way. of it makes it so much yeah bigger, so much kind of broader than it could have been yeah and yeah. it's not and it's not fully reinventing the wheel but it's a new wheel that i like riding <laughs> yeah yeah that's a really that's a really good way to put it so um this kind of brings me to the question of the of the closer on the podcast which is a really weird question to apply given the what work you do is there anything about attack the block that you have used or borrowed or stolen or incorporated into your own creative dna because i'm thinking about the stuff i know uh, of yours and even the podcasts there's not i mean hmm. at what point have you used british socioeconomic realism and <laughs> monsters well but there, i do feel a um connection uh, to what what struck me, um, the subject of, you know, when you know when I th- think about like a model minority in terms of Asian Americans, mm-hmm. um, where my family is from Laos, uh, there were um, refugees, and um, I'm Asian American, um, but I'm not the fancy Asian American, okay. and Laotians um, in in the U.S. Census really are hover. Uh, Slightly above and certainly below of uh, the poverty line. Okay. Um, and I grew up. I grew up lower. Um, pretty poor. Uh, got up to lower middle class in Minnesota. I'm very familiar with um, the projects and food stamps and um, and working since I was very very young. I uh, was a dishwasher at eight at my mom's restaurant, and I haven't stopped. Okay. I know about child labor. <laughs> I know about I know about code switching. I know about code switching, like the um, character that was stuck in the um, trash for a long time, right. <laughs> for much longer, for the monster not to figure out how to get in there. But um, but who will you code switch with, like your family, and then with your friends? Know about that. I know. I know the like the, that that racial tension um, uh, and being um, looked at and f- being the other, right? Um, and so, because I come from that, a lot of my work is kind of about being the other, and then also uh, mommy and daddy issues. <laughs> That's true. They're in there. Yeah, they're yeah, in. Mention it. Yeah, they're in there. They're and they're in uh, obviously my documentary origin story, but also in bajillion dollar properties. Totally very different, but mm-hmm. everybody has yeah. has mommy daddy issues, and they all struggle with wanting to be enough as they arrive. Right. This is, I think, a universal thing that no That's one true. wants to acknowledge as universal, right? Like the just the idea that we never really grow up and. And and or rather that we never outgrow our parents, I guess. I mean, it's something that I'm I'm 50 and I'm returning to that ever over and over again. It's yeah, you can play for comedy, you can play for horror, you can play like Hereditary is all about that this year. Um, I mean, I'll never say that's too scary. That's not that scary. <laughs> Are you sure? Well, everyone says it's super scary. You know what it is? It is really slow, and oh, then God. things happen in a loud way. Oh God! So yeah, okay, I get it. Uh-uh. I uh, I do believe that when stuff really goes down, I'm gonna be great. <laughs> I feel like I am training for that, right? But I can't. We can't also be just doing, 
you know, war games in the mind <laughs> up until that point. My problem with, I guess my problem with horror that uses jump scares is that I'm immune to them now because you, re, I've seen enough movies. You just literally think you're immune to jump scares? Well, unless it's, unless it's the sort of thing, like the only person who does it in a way that works on me now is J.J. Abrams, actually, because it happens okay. in Overlord, it happens in... Uh, it happened in Super 8. He'll he'll smash something into the middle of a dialogue scene where the rhythms are wrong, and that works. Okay, yeah. But think yeah. about every other jump scare where there's a yeah. fake scare, and then the sound drops out. Right. So I'm just in the your, bo- your body just kind of is like I I'm know what's happening. It, yeah. yeah, I understand. I, in the 80s, there was this thing that everybody recognized in horror movies where the opticals would change because they were using film to print the special effects, and they would drop a generation because of the effect. Uh... So it would get grainier. Uh, and even if nothing was happening, your body would just go, something's coming. Yep. And it's the same thing with the with the jump scares. They're just like movies like Insidious where people go into a dark room and wait for the monster to jump at them because that's how these movies work. I hate those. They're boring. <laughs> Sorry. Or Saw, the Saw movies, which aren't torture. jump scary, but just torture, right? Like, yeah. We're going to watch somebody's arm come off. Yeah, I'm not okay with that. It's boring. Uh, hereditary is none of those things, but it is like it's a it's a, it's hmm. once it takes about an hour to get to the reveal of what kind of movie it is, and mm. until then, there's the possibility that it's psychological. There's the possibility it's just bad luck. There's the possibility that it's this oh, other thing. Yeah, that hour is really interesting, and it's not scary. It's oppressive. And you're trying to figure it out with the characters, and, and that's, you're dancing that tension. And you're yeah, just trying to, oh, it's like happening. I like that a lot. Okay, but then about an hour in, it tells you what kind of movie it's going to be. There's a scene where it's just like we're here now, and after that, it's like okay, I know this movie, and that's not scary. Interesting. Yeah. So, I'm so they go into the, well into the second act before you realize what movie it is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. it's they they dangle they dangle schizophrenia, they dangle um, cults, they dangle just. Like nut allergies. There's all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the dangled nut allergies, yeah. which you know are very deadly to many people. Sure, sure. <laughs> and in the film, yeah. uh, um, like Chekhov's nut is dangled very early on. Okay, that okay. Weird. That came out weird. Chekhov's yeah, that is, is very funny to me. <laughs> it's uh, just one of them. <laughs> yeah, the, the elevated horror thing is. I don't know. There's there's great stuff. There's stuff like It Follows and uh, movies that. Again, they're like sort of interacting with the entire history of horror movies. It follows is basically a John Carpenter movie from 1978 that escaped mm. and showed up now, and it's it's terrific and mm. it's genuinely creepy and scary. Uh, I would not recommend that one. To yeah, you. not gonna do that. <laughs> but but Attack the Block is sort of in conversation with stuff like that as well because it's you know the 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 well there's Doctor Who obviously but but the English have the the Quatermass films where this cranky middle-aged scientist. I think it predates Doctor Who or just around the same window of time. Uh, Nigel Neal, who was this amazing sci-fi writer, wrote a series of them. I think there's one on the shelf here somewhere. (laughs) There's definitely one on the shelf somewhere. Uh, And there are these movies about uh, a scientist in present day, in the 50s and 60s in England, in London, who just kept... He was the guy the, the government always called. So he shows up, and they find monsters in the subway. They find corpses of ancient corpses in the subway of, mon- of clearly non-human creatures, and it's part of an invasion that didn't happen but is now happening, and he gets called in. Mm. Attack the Block is that kind of thing, okay. only it's from the perspective of the first people who, who encounter the creature. Okay. Like, these are the guys in the prologue of every X-Files episode. Okay. And they get killed, and they never get seen again, except in this case they fight back because they're resilient, resourceful, and, and lucky. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah. 
it's it's that kind of movie which scratches a very specific itch for me and made me very happy and also plays it at high speed with you know explosions and jokes yeah um, and yeah. a present day sensibility yeah so yeah i'd recommend stuff like that but yeah jump horror yeah no not, not so much. much but yeah as far as origin story yeah i don't i don't see a lot of attack the block in there but <laughs> now that you mention it the the outsider aspect of it is pretty strong yeah, yeah, like, that's the the things that I gravitate t- towards or things that I, like, kind of relate to, which feels universal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is that, that the outside or the other. Right, and of course, I mean, the whole point of the film is that you you were, like, rendered an outsider within your own family, in a way, as a kid. and A little baby Huey. Well, how did that... How do you process that now as a, as a as an adult? I mean, you've... you've Clearly, the film is you working through it, so hopefully... You've, yeah, you've the come, process is the film. <laughs> yeah, you come out the other side, but right. but when when it was happening, were you aware of it? I mean, did you know you were working this, or is it just something that you constantly had in front of you? Oh, oh yeah, I mean, I think that's just growing up as a, another in America. Yeah. <laughs> constantly like, well, what is this? And, and when you grow up, and I grew up in Minnesota, um, predominantly white, um, most of the time in the suburbs... Um, it, it just just the the need to assimilate and to tamp down um, what makes you different, mm-hmm. but then also to even within your own community to feel like you weren't like I never felt like I was loud enough, and then turning around to going to school and stuff I wasn't Asian enough because people didn't know where Laos was it wasn't Chinese it wasn't Japanese right. you know um, not not Korean <laughs> like um, and just trying. It, wrestling with like identity and it's especially compounded when um as i mentioned before my parents being immigrants and having a lot of trauma from when they had to leave their home country i mean i was conceived in a refugee camp and the path i thought the only path to my culture was was through my parents and i have such a really complicated uh relationship with my parents and so for a long time, I thought that that, that was a full stop. Mm-hmm. And through this process, finding, just just paving my own road to, to, a, to a version that works for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't, have, I mean, of course it can't have been easy, but it's, I, I, it's, it's great that the film exists because other people are going to have this same issue on you know through different facets through different uh, approaches but yeah it's a therapy tool right i mean you like you constructed this thing to to help people understand yourself uh, um you know I, I thought about sarah Polly making sto- stories we tell to very, investigate her very mother. i was very inspired by mm-hmm. that it was one of the first things i'm like oh yeah it's kind of like that yeah i mean it's a completely different execution and 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 uh it's just, it's fascinating to me to watch people figure out themselves by accident. Like, sort of the, I mean, it, it's, Sarah's film was much more about her mother, the mother she never knew, because she died when, when Sarah was a kid. But she ends up exploring, excavating her own history in a way. And you set out to do that deliberately about yourself and found out more about your parents. And it's just this really strange universal quest thing that we all seem to end up doing. Yeah, it's the just, hero's journey, the heroine's journey, the, yeah. you know... Um, using the call and meeting the goddess yes. and all the Dan Harmon stuff, the story exactly. circle. Exactly, absolutely the story circle. Yeah. And back to that 
universal human question of like who am i yeah it's um and why aren't i who i want to be right yeah i mean do we ever get to be who we think we are like do we do like we all have the performative version of ourselves yep. I'm, I'm doing it right now i'm sure on some level but you you actually got to draw the map for yourself in the movie which almost nobody gets to do and at least enough to go okay you know someone nearing you know um I am an adult. Yeah. <laughs> there, uh, there are, you know, questionable uh, times sure, sure. Uh, for me when I don't quite meet that definition. <laughs> but by age and days on this earth, I am an adult sure. and have been. have <laughs> been for some time. Um, but you get to a certain age and you're like, I just, I don't want to tell the same story over and over again to myself. Yeah. I don't want to keep talking to myself in this manner. <laughs> Which is high and low. The ego is... Uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing the ego is. Because right. when I'm high on myself, I'm just as bad as when I'm low on myself, right? And I just, like... I just There's some things you just want to... You want to put to bed so that you can see what else is there in your life and what else can you do, you yeah. know? Like, you want to put down some of those monsters. <laughs> I was going to say, this, is, this film is a therapy as well. It is! The idea to- that you could actually fight to physically fight. fight your demons, yeah. <laughs> to fight your demons and make it on the other side. There is sacrifice. There is loss. There is heartache. There is um, near misses. There is triumph of the spirit. Yeah. And and a a like reaff- reaffirmation an affirmation of like oh what what is important. Yeah, yeah. What your priorities are. What relationships are important and like that and also. A trust in yourself that you can survive and thrive. Yeah, new friendships, like, new understandings. Yeah, and that's you know that's me and Moses. That's, that's how me and Moses are the same. <laughs> Way to bring it back around. I'm usually better at this. That's, that was that was great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, just because the documentary. I mean, it. You know when you go looking for and the, the go looking for the answers you don't get we all want to control so much of what the outcome is. Sure. And we all you know, I'm from LA, I've gone to a shaman, crunchy crunchy <sighs> feelings, feelings, therapy since I you know, for over ten years now. <laughs> like um but like you know, oh past cannot be different, blah blah blah. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, answers are in front of me, blah 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 blah. <laughs> like all sure. that stuff. But you just want... I lost my thought. <laughs> it's about the quest. It's about the quest! Mm. It's about, like... But but that thing is, like, we all want to, like, muscle an outcome. And it's not kind of for us to do that. At a certain point, it's like, that's just additional energy. Because things are going to happen right. beyond control. It, it, could it be possible that you could let go? And right. to see what could happen beyond your your, like ideas because right, it could be wants and desires could and, be greater than right yeah. and that was a lesson for me in this documentary of just like but i want this answer <laughs> i right. want this answer to be answered and sometimes and then i get the answer i'm like but that's not the answer i expected right, <laughs> i was like right, well right. okay <laughs> i mean uh, things aren't so black and white things people have People have, we were talking about this before, it's like what memory is and people's relationships to the memory. My parents, 
when talking to them about my past, they're clinging to a version that it is almost even unfair to shake them off of because it's something that I, I, right, I felt... It's, like, it's motivated them. It's kept them going. And it has... I feel like removing that is a house... Of, like taking a card out of a house of cards, right? Right. And, and somewhere in the Venn diagram between my truth... And all three of my parents' truth is probably a ver- still a version of the truth. Right. Right? Yeah. And that's hard to contend with, but that's all we have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You literally just keep building your own story, right? It doesn't yeah. matter if it lines up with anybody else's if it keeps you going. But then, yeah, then you have the collisions with other people's versions and, yeah, and the stuff that never stops. The only thing I can pre- like preach to myself in the mirror is about personal responsibility. Right. And so all I can do is like, in terms of my interaction with you or as I go out with my family and with my parents is just try to keep my side clean. Yeah. You know, just try to, uh, my, 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 uh, my motto this year has been do no harm, take no shit. That's a good one. I just, I condensed it down about eight or nine film festivals in to don't be an asshole. That's my, that's my thing. That's a beautiful banner. Thank you. It's yes. clear. Concise. Don't be an asshole. Kill monsters. <laughs> when then, when possible. <laughs> that's the, the, that's a, I like the three banner. Yeah. <laughs> when possible. Yeah, yeah, it's like the the, the robot yeah. ones. When, it's a, when the same thing. Should the opportunity present itself. Kill a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't take no shit. <laughs> <laughs> my thanks to Kulop Vilaisak, whose new documentary origin story is streaming on Amazon Prime Video pretty much everywhere right now. It'll also be available on Google Play in June and iTunes in July. And if you're in Los Angeles, it's screening for free at 6 p.m. this Thursday, May 30th at the Natural History Museum. You can RSVP to that at originstorydoc.com blog. Thanks also to Michelle Brickman, Barbara Roy, and Delani Rabindran. They know what they did. You can find Kulop on Twitter at Kulop, just Kulop. And you can find Attack the Block on Blu-ray and DVD in a really fun special edition from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. And check out Johnny Sun's episode on Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's Cornetto trilogy if you haven't heard it already. He was so great. You can find that wherever you picked up this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.